I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And uh, as I love to do every week, I will introduce my dear friend and colleague and co-host, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. I'm still waiting for where we could hit that button. Uh, maybe our partner, Lucas, can help us with this, where we hit the applause uh, when I introduce yeah. you. I really want that. Yeah, I'd love to make it like other podcasts where you can like, look stuff up while we're talking or have music. Or, yeah, we need yeah. little laptops in here. We, we do. That would be fun. Uh, hey, Bingo Bango Bongo. That is uh, the name of this article. Um, Bingo Bango Bongo is actually a, a game you can play in golf. Have you played Bingo Bango Bongo? I have not. Okay. Um, I know it slightly. I think it's a points game, and you either get a bingo, a bango, or a bongo, uh, and it's first to the green gets a point, closest to the pin gets a point, and first uh, to, to hole out gets a point. So why there's all these games within a game uh, for golf? I have uh, a few theories. Um, one, it's a long game. It's 18 holes. And um, if you're playing just for an end score and you've been through five or six holes that haven't gone so well, sometimes you can lose a little motivation. Mm -hmm. So sometimes these scramble games or games of skins or gambling um, allows like each hole to be just as exciting and kind of restarts the scoreboard. Is that, I mean, what do you think? No, you nailed it because people that go out and shoot, like you know, 100 and they're just playing golf for fun. You know, they're not playing competitively. Uh, they will remember the one really good shot, not the 99 okay shots. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I talked about in the article, that short-term memory loss. I have it. Like, the scorecard, it's like a horrible score. I'm not a great golfer, but I'm just like, man, member on, like, hole 13, yeah. that chip shot, like, two <laughs> feet from the hole. Like, it just, it, you just get a taste of the glory, and you just want to go out and play again. It's true. Golf's a pretty frustrating sport uh, because as you get better, you have to play more to continue and then you think you'd be satisfied with like oh i shot an 89 yes and then you're like nope now i need to like get lower <laughs> and it's like also i wrote about an article it's one of those games you you can't judge a book by its cover no like you go out there and um i don't mean this in a derogatory way at all so everybody give me forgiveness but you jump in a cart with somebody maybe that's older that can like they have trouble walking maybe they're in a walker and they just crush you on the course yeah like straight as an arrow uh you know couple hundred yards every time hit every fairway uh every green in regulation they're great at putting so you cannot judge a book by its cover and on the opposite end i know you've seen it oh yeah somebody head to toe in all the newest uh, yeah, young athletic looking they're like doing warm-ups stretching they have really expensive clubs and then they're awful yeah uh what the reason i was talking about golf is i remember when i was younger and i tried to google search i couldn't find the tournament but i remember this tournament i think tiger woods played in it and it was it was like a like a like a fun round um and what the game was is on each hole they would take a club away from tiger uh, i think they had to leave his driver and his putter or something like that and so uh you know the tools in his bag were reducing as he went through the game. I tried to Google search it, and I found this name of the game of called like Bag Raid or Golf Battle. Uh, and, and they were describing the game, basically, if you win a hole versus, you know, uh, it's match play, so versus your opponent, yeah. they get to take a club. And you keep doing that hole by hole. I think I remember that. And then I remember once he had to finish around with like his putting with his wedge, and he still did like great. Because yeah. he's that good, you know? Yeah, and it to me, it was a perfect analogy 
because a lot of folks I talk to have trouble understanding what diversification actually is. And what I put in the article is, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm doing this from memory, I think the PGA allows you to have up to 14 clubs in your bag. I think that's right. I don't know the exact number, but there's a number. You can't exceed it. Of course. And what we know is that as we reduce those clubs, like if you only give Tiger a a 7-iron, he's going to play better than you and I could ever dream of. (laughs) But he's not going to play his best game. No. So uh, he needs all 14 of those clubs. I'm guessing, again, absolute guess, I'm guessing there's not a lot of golfers on the tour that show up with 12 clubs or 11 clubs. I would say that they probably max out um, to try to get the the special tool for every hit, especially with wedges, right? Mm. Um, It's like they they need to fine-tune that special shot that they might only need, you know, three or four times on the course. Right. So we get this concept that as we increase clubs from one, uh, we find improvement. But then uh, as comical as it seems, we also know that there's this diminishing return factor, right? Um, because we know if if you went from, uh, let's say, five clubs to 10 clubs, could you improve your score? Yes. Big difference. 10 yeah. clubs to 15 clubs, probably yes. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but that marginal benefit, as you described it, is going to shrink. So we're just going to be extreme. If you had a thousand clubs, uh, your score would be worse because man, would your back hurt? Yeah, that's true. And you'd be confused, and you'd have too many to choose from. And it, like you said, that marginal benefit starts to go down because you don't really need those extra clubs. It's almost like a distraction or something else to think about. Yeah, it becomes uh, like unwielding to kind of remember all those things. And as I joked about, the the size of it also becomes hefty. And that is a perfect analogy for what we do because we do review a lot of potential client portfolios and it feels like a thousand clubs where we're like, okay, there's there's multiple banks or custodians. There's a lot of different strategies in here. And a lot of times we open up with, hey, it's not clear and obvious to me. So Mr. or Mrs. Potential Client, can you walk me through where the thread is here or what the strategy that you're you're trying to employ? Yeah, the, that's the interesting part is uh, I feel like I get two answers. I either get one answer where they kind of shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know. This is just how it was set up. And I go, great. The preferred answer. Yeah, I do prefer that answer. I'm like, great. Well, let's go from there. Uh, but then the the less preferred answer is like, oh, yeah, let me explain it to you. I thought I would do this and do that and do this and do that. And then I'm more confused than when I started. So uh, I, I think both answers can sometimes uh, leave me a little clueless. And people keep in their back pocket these little financial truisms uh, to – not the best way to say it, but to justify why they do that. Right. Hey, Sean, I, come on. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, so I need multiple banks. And then you're like, wait, wait, wait. Let me kind of unwrap what that that actually means. So the reason I want to talk about diversification is some question. Sometimes I will get the question when we're talking about the primary strategy here at the Bonsa Group is our core dividend strategy, and folks will. And I'm, I'm guessing you get this question a lot too. Hey, hey, Sean, uh, this core dividend strategy, which is often you know maybe fifty or sixty percent of a client portfolio. It only has 30 individual stocks. Is that enough? Yeah, and I guess I would understand that concern too. If you are you know, new to this type of strategy and you're used to seeing a statement with 500 stocks and now you're seeing roughly half the portfolio in 30 stocks, I could see that causing someone to have pause. But I, I think what people misunderstand is if you were to look at, uh, let's say, 100% of the portfolio and you're splitting it up into 30 different positions – 
It's a weighting of, if you did an average, a little over 3% per position. So now, if you think of it that way, having 3% in each company, if something were to go really south on one of them, you're still at 97%. If you start to look at it in that way... That's, I, that's really south. And that's, and that's something like, going that's out like, of business. That's like a, a, a large company that sells cheeseburgers all over the world doesn't exist Disappearing tomorrow. Disappearing tomorrow. Yeah, which odds of that are, I would say, pretty low. Yes. But... When you kind of explain it that way, I've noticed that people kind of have that aha moment like, oh, all right, yeah, that makes sense. I'm really glad you said that because I agree that a client should ask that question. Uh, if your background is not in finance, it is not intuitive that uh, you know 30 securities would, would do the job. And that's why I was really proud of myself on this golf club analogy because for me, it like resonated and I'm like, oh, now that makes sense. It's, it's an easy way for me to explain it because – Yes, it's obvious that a thousand clubs wouldn't get your score from, you know, lower than it was if you had 15 clubs. So we can start to see in, in a real life example, this, this economic truth of, of diminishing returns or, or where the marginal benefit starts to slow down. So what you said, I think kind of hits the nail on the head is you want to avoid one company causing detriment to your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And there is risk when we talk about concentration. And I'm really glad that you said it that way because then it allows us to start to understand, okay, Sean, you made a really good point that I now am not susceptible to the risk of that one business. But there's still risk. And in finance, we use volatility for for risk. Uh, Is there still volatility in my portfolio? Absolutely. So you're telling me, you can uh, dilute one risk, which we're going to call business risk, but there's one risk you can't get rid of. It's market volatility. Yeah. So that is probably a, a very important truth for an investor to understand. Two risks, business risk, market risk. And the way that I see it, I'm an image person, so I see it that the market has like a current, like a river. So any stock that gets thrown in that river, it's going to have some propensity to go in sequence with everything else. There's some level of correlation, whether you're selling cheeseburgers, selling t-shirts, or digging for oil. Uh, There is a strong correlation in the long run, stocks. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So if we could get rid of market risk, we would do it all day long. Oh, yeah. We We would have a thousand clubs. We would buy... 5,000 stocks. But when you look at this graphed out, what you'll see, uh, I like that you use that word marginal benefit. And when you go from one stock to two stocks, you are bringing down your standard deviation, a measurement for volatility, a word that we use synonymously in finance for risk. So you are incrementally reducing risk. But if you can imagine, you begin to step down and down and down in this idea of standard deviation, but there is a flat line where you have diversified away business risk, but you have not, which you will not, diversify away market risk. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's some other large investment groups out there that run stock portfolios. And uh, I've, I've seen comparisons where people say, you know, oh, I, I think I like the idea of this company because they own 100 stocks in their portfolio. But the interesting part is if you look at the weightings, um, there's about, you know, 15 to 20 that have almost like a 10% well, not necessarily 10, but 5 to 10% weighting. And then they have a bunch of positions that have less than a half a percent weighting, that which are almost uh, 
like non-existent. They, they don't move the needle in the portfolio. So it doesn't really have a hundred stock portfolio. It's almost like window dressing. Yeah. So we see the, that's a great way to put it. You look at, let's say the top 20 securities and they make up 70% of the portfolio. Exactly. Is that going to have a strong attribution to how the portfolio performs? Absolutely. Now there will be some large mutual funds and institutions that they need to have more securities. Right. Because they have so much money. So much. Yeah. That they need moving the price if they concentrated it anymore. Yeah. So it's not to the benefit of the investor. It's to the benefit of the business. Right. um, That they have to look at, hey, if size is the enemy of performance and, you know, we've been a successful fund for 30 years, we have to have thousands of employees on this one fund and we have to own thousands of securities, uh, not for the benefit of uh, diversification, but more for the fact that we're responsible for so many assets and uh, we're not going to turn away business. That's such a good point because then it almost uh, reinforces the argument that when mutual funds get so big, they're not going to turn away money, most of them. And it it almost shows that they're very similar to an index or a benchmark because they own almost everything. Yeah, I had a talk with, uh, I don't remember who it was with, but it was the other day, and they were asking about our business, and they said, uh, you know, Trevor, when you started with the Bonser Group, there was eight employees, and now there's 50. So will the Bonser Group have 1,000 employees? It's a great question. Uh, we're going to do our annual retreat in Nashville this year, and that will probably be a conversation piece. Now, I'm not talking about tomorrow, but here's the decision we're going to have to make. Uh, are we going to turn away business? We have a lot of people reach out to us, uh, curious about what we do, and potentially interested in working with us. Uh, the more people that do that, we are going to have to have a, a, a greater team to support that. And one thing that I love bragging about our business is what are we in the business of? We are a financial advisory firm. What are the majority of our employees? Not financial advisors. Uh, because we've been intentional about hiring folks to figure out how we better serve clients um, and adding specializations and uh, different components within our business to better serve our clients. And I think that makes me happy. Yeah, and you have to because uh, you see the groups that grow and they hire a lot of advisors, but not the supporting cast. And uh, what happens is the service and the quality goes down for the existing clients. And that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, and I will speak for you because I know you won't brag about yourself, but you're, uh, in my opinion, what's the compliance-appropriate word? I think you are a very good advisor, (laughs) Sean Latimer. I don't think Uh, you're allowed to say that. Yeah, okay, (laughs) fair enough. So uh, that is my opinion. But uh, even that, you and myself as well, um, we have the humility to know that it is so beneficial if there's other folks on our team that have specialization where we can bring that person in zip our lips and say, hey, can you speak to this specific tax situation? Can you speak to this specific estate planning situation? And I think in the maturity of an advisor, that humility is so key because ultimately the benefit flows to the client. Absolutely. I think people are, um, I think they're nervous about, are they, that they're going to lose credibility by saying, you know, like, I don't know, or let, let me, let me talk to this person. They're truly an expert, uh, but it's actually the opposite. It shows that you have confidence and you say, Hey, you know what? Let me bring in this person to review your tax returns. They, this is what they do all day long, every day. They're going to know it better than me. This article wasn't about the business of the bonds group. So we'll get back to diversification. Oh, yeah. yeah. Back, so, back to yeah. So we understand this idea of Business risk and market risk. One, we can diversify. The other, we basically have to deal with. But the other thing we mentioned, again, 
you go to Finance 101, uh, the first lesson is on diversification. So it's not only diversification within an asset allocation or within an asset class or an allocation. It's diversification at the portfolio level. So the word that I've been using a lot, always searching for better words for clients to understand how this all works, is this idea of layering. And um, if that core dividend uh, portfolio or core dividend strategy is the, the 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 primary building block for a new portfolio, and we've already said again, every client portfolio would be different. Uh, but let's say on the average, a lot of clients have an allocation of fifty to sixty percent. What does that mean? We have we have another forty to fifty percent to allocate. Mm-hmm. So what I've talked about in the article is that you are then looking for diversification again. You're then taking that core dividend portfolio and you're layering on other allocations. Uh, And as you can't see on the podcast, I'm holding one fist and running my hand over it the other with this idea of layering. Because for me, that's so conceptually important because I've always seen portfolios like puzzle pieces. And you want to make sure that every piece you introduce um, fits perfectly and also reveals the picture of the financial plan. So Depending on the client, a client's going to have different objectives. Mm-hmm. Some clients have uh, primary objectives of, of meeting withdrawal needs to cover current expenses. Some clients have uh, a, a, an aspiration to grow the portfolio and to not touch the income. Some clients have uh, you know, tolerance limitations where they want the volatility to look like X. So whatever the objective is for that client on a preference standpoint and whatever is revealed in the financial plan – needs to be present in how you design the portfolio. Yeah, that other 40% is either going to make the portfolio more conservative, meaning uh, earlier we talked about standard deviation, how much volatility is going to happen in the portfolio. Well, there's only a couple ways to reduce it, and that's by making sure that the other that other 40% is invested in things that has a lower standard deviation, like fixed income or bonds. Um, realistically, the withdrawal need or the financial plan objectives should drive the investment allocation, but sometimes there's a, that human behavior part that we have to factor in. Yeah, and that's why I, I tried to touch it on the article, but I want to encourage people because I've had so many conversations like this lately based on kind of the tone of what's going on in the world right now. So be really careful not to build your portfolio for September of 2022 because if you do that, then you're going to build your portfolio for October of 2022 and then November, and there's this kind of constant knee-jerk and pivot um, that is a very large distraction from the long-term aspirations that you've set forth. So Sean touched on this idea of reducing standard deviation as we layer on these other pieces. But the other thing that's extremely important is you want to be careful about redundancy. Mm. As we introduce a new puzzle piece, the intent and, and the analogy made with golf is that, uh, you know, you have your 13 clubs, right? And, and you have one other club you can add to the bag. Would it be helpful to add an additional nine iron? It, it wouldn't. There's a redundancy that doesn't improve diversification. So when we do this layering process, the math term we're using is correlation. We're looking for a, 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 another allocation that's not going to correlate with what we already own. And there's a... Uh, there's a huge benefit to that, but there's also a an aesthetic downside. Uh, and do you know what I'm hinting towards there? Yeah, because when things are going well for stocks in North America, you know, other other equities you own of other parts of the world probably aren't going to be looking the same. 
you hit the nail on the head. And then so, it's that snowman on your uh, golf scorecard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Snowman being an, an eight, right? Is that that's yes. what snowman is? Yes. Okay. Which means that you got like a quadruple bogey or triple bogey yeah. or, you know. It could be a lot of bogeys. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a quintuple bogey depending on the par for that hole. Um, so what Sean's saying there, and the word that we've been accustomed to using because, again, we want it to resonate with clients is blemishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you diversify – some puzzle piece, some allocation, some strategy in, in your, your portfolio is going to have a blemish. And you're not going to be okay with that. Uh, and, and that's uh, difficult because I want to encourage you to be okay with that. Because if you go to the route of being diversified, then the expectation should be that there are going to be some blemishes. Yeah, doesn't David have a funny saying that like if there isn't something in your portfolio you're not happy about, then you're not diversified? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's true. And I, I should, we should also put the disclaimer out that uh, these correlations are measured over long periods of time. So when there is something extreme happening, like out of normal, and uh, markets are throwing up, I have another way to say it, uh, what, what's the saying? Correlations tend to go to one. One, that's right. So uh, what that means is everything's probably going to look right at that time. And it requires patience and resilience, and and you do have to have trust in the plan. Yeah, and sometimes the – like you said, these are measured over long time periods. There's going to be some periods where something misbehaves and acts very abnormal. Mm -hmm. So in 2022, bonds are acting very abnormal. Uh, They're not providing the same comfort – um, safety uh, that they that they typically do, uh, and that's okay because energy stocks are behaving differently than they normally do. Uh, and alternatives for some portfolios can be a silver lining right now. So again, that is going to be diversification. Is that if I have this pie chart and I've you know defined five different pieces of how that's broken up. Those five different pieces, you want them to zig and zag. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, we talked when we talk about golf. You know, for a lot of golfers, what matters is the scorecard. At the end of the day, uh, and but you know, even with a great scorecard, are there going to be bad shots in there. Yeah, there's going to be absolutely bad shots. There's going to be bad holes. There's going to be two bad holes in a row, uh, and that's why so much of golf, when you go from the level of being really good to being really competitive. Uh, mental is probably the hugest part. You would know better than me. I'm, I'm not so much of a golfer. And I'm not a good golfer either, but it is true. You get in your own head and then it's like a negative feedback loop. You're thinking about the bad shot, then you have another bad shot, and then you're making silly mistakes and you're like, ah, wheels are falling off. So I'm looking at the time. I know I have a meeting coming up. You so do. We, will, yeah. we, will, uh, <laughs> we will abruptly end this podcast, but I'll, I'll give you the easiest recap that I can. Uh Kind of the, the the finance 101 first first uh, first day of class. You you learn this idea of business risk and market risk. You understand that there's a diminishing return of diversification in the number of securities you can own. But we also introduce that that's probably going to be one piece of the pie in your overall allocation. So as you introduce other strategies, when you introduce real estate and bonds, high yield debt, um, private equity, number of things. You're going to look at how those correlate with other parts. You're going to look at their sensitivities to interest rates, sensitivities to changes in commodity prices. Um, and you're going to be intentional about the design of a portfolio. Now, uh, is that portfolio going to be the best portfolio that was ever created? No. The idea is that it would be optimal 
to the design of your financial plan. That is what we're trying to get across. So since I am on the minute that I'm supposed to be sitting in a Zoom call, <laughs> I will ask you to rate the podcast five stars or preferred. All comments are welcome. You can reach Sean or Trevor at Tom at TheBonsGroup.com, T-O-M at TheBonsGroup.com. And we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.